Welcome to Harvest Valley Worship Center's Sermon of the Week. You can discover more about our church, pastors, and special guests at hvwc.com. We hope that you are blessed by today's message. A few weeks ago, Mark mentioned um, to Peter and me on our call, he said, hey, you know, I, I woke up with a word of my spirit, and he said, turn the corner. And uh, Mark, uh, Peter and I were like, ooh, that's really good. Like, I felt, we felt the weight of it when he said it. And then he's like, later on in the day, he got a phone call from a friend who said, hey, God's just telling me to tell you it's time to turn the corner. <laughs> okay. All right. Paying attention now. This is good. So um, we be, we've just been unpacking what it means to turn the corner. Okay. So for us, what I see God is doing is, is we, we compare it to the race car who's going at 200 some miles an hour. And when they head into the turn, they hit the brakes. Man, Terry is all over the sound effects. So when you slam on the brakes, you go from, say, 200 to, like, 60, like that. And then you, then you hit the turn, you get, let the tires get a little grip, and then you push it, right? Then you hit the gas. But there's this suspension moment. There's this moment where, where you're not on the brakes and you're not on the gas and you're letting the car turn. And this is where we are. We're in the turn. Now, the brakes here was over two years of braking, okay? So I have no, long, no idea how long the turn is, okay? Like, I, I wish I could tell you, oh, yeah, for the next two weeks, we're turning. You know, I, I don't have that in me. I don't know. Um, but I do know that God is asking some things of us. And what he's asking for us to do is change. I know, I felt a bristle too. <laughs> he said the sea word change, bad. Oh, we don't. Listen, the kingdom is transformation. If we don't grab onto the fact that God is taking us from glory to glory, if you don't like change, then you're stuck in your old glory and you'll never get the fruit of the next season. Amen. We don't like that. We don't want to be that kind of people. We want to be transformed. Amen? Amen. 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 So last week I did way too much. And the Lord corrected me. I, I, I wanted to get through mission and vision and <laughs> I wanted to do all this stuff. And it was like, the Lord's like, will you slow down, please? Okay, I'll slow down. So we're only going to talk about the mission today. We're going to take, as we end the year, we're just going to take time to marinate a little bit and just to receive what the Lord has for us for each one of these elements. We have six distinct uh, values in our culture um, which we're continually refining and making sure that it really matches who we are and who we want to be. Um, a culture is, a, is, a, is an environment that produces growth. So we want to make sure that, that the way that we do what we do actually produces growth. And there's been some things that we do that don't produce growth. Let's just be honest. In ourselves, doesn't produce growth in us, and it's not producing growth around us. Like we feel like we hit a brick wall with our evangelism. We hit, feel like we hit a brick wall with our families. Like we hit, well, we need to change our culture to become an environment personally, internally. And then as a community, we have to change our culture so that it is an environment that produces growth. Does this make sense? So this is not me at all being negative. This is just, we're just going to point to some reality and go, okay, we're in the turn. How about we actually turn? Because if we don't turn, we're going to be in a ditch. Yeah. If we don't turn, we're in the cornfield by ourselves wondering, where, what happened to the road? Where, what are we doing over here? 
That's not, I don't want that to be us. Amen. Lisa talked about stand-up comedy. I'm like, oh, I got to bring it up a whole nother level this morning. Okay. So we, from the very beginning of my call to ministry, Mika's call to ministry, we had been married two weeks when the Lord called us into ministry. Our senior pastor at the time, Nick Higgins, um, very funny. He actually did stand-up comedy. Very funny guy. Pam knows Nick. And, um, and so uh, two weeks after he married Mika and me, he resigned and was like, yep, God told me my, my work here is done. Through, uh, and then uh, our drummer at the time uh, had a dream and brought it to the pastor and said, I had a dream that you weren't pastoring here anymore. And, and then God said, let it go. Woo. So that was a confirmation he needed. He resigned and, and our small church, uh, you know, got smaller. And, um, and uh, we were, we were um, uh, being interim shepherded by an old retired minister named Joel Swartzel, who's just one of the sweetest men of God ever. And, and we met with our regional overseer, Bishop Wayne T. Doughty from the South. He's, he's here, and, and uh, we're, we're having dinner at Ivano's. Uh, Mika and I were the only ones in leadership other than Joel and Louise at the time. Uh, we were the only elders left. Um, and, um, and so um, Joel Swartzel comes in, and I'm sorry, Wayne Doherty comes in, and he says, says so, so is there anybody in the church that would be willing to take on the role of pastor? Well, in that season, um, my son over the dinner table said, Dad, why aren't you the pastor? And Mika and I kind of looked at each other like, are we ready for that? You know, like, I don't know. Um, and then um, uh, the pastor's wife, Tamara, had a dream that, um, that all, everybody who was in the church was in that back office, which used to be the pastor's office, which is now the administrative office. Everyone was in here, and I was standing up here leading worship. At the time, I did not play guitar. I did not, like, I would sing, but that was it. I had no, like, nothing. So they saw me leading worship, and the, and the place was full. And so she shared that dream. Like, we were out. We were, like, closed off, gone, and um, you were, the place was full, and you were leading worship. And so uh, Meek and I began to pray, and we really felt like God was calling us into the ministry. And, and um, it's a scary thing for me because I tried to ruin that call a lot, a lot, I actively tried to ruin my call. So uh, I'll share a little bit more about that uh, later, but I wanted to just kind of bring this whole topic home today. The mission that we have started the day God called us. And the mission that we're pursuing is something that is clearly biblical. It is clearly, I believe, God's heart for the region but when I started in ministry, I knew I needed to do it differently than the way I've ever seen it done. I had no, I'd never heard of Bethel. I had never heard of a fivefold ministry in a context other than that there were apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints of the work of ministry, blah, 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 blah. Like I knew the scripture, but I'd never seen it. So I began praying, God, can I have all five of those gifts? Because I'm the only one leading can I have all five? And then God, you're going to bring me the right people to do all that stuff. Like I trust it to you, but I need the anointing for all five. 
So I literally began to pray that over and over. God, I cannot do this without this, for this to be a healthy church. All five uh, gifts that Jesus gives to the church have to be in operation. And until those are raised up, can you just put them on me? Right? So that we're healthy, so that we're good. And of course... Um, one thing that I'm good at was um, trying to prove myself and trying to strive really hard to do a lot and to prove that I had value. So um, when you're asking for all five gifts and you prove yourself through doing stuff, guess who's busy? That's me. Okay, I'm, I was way too busy. Um, but I want to, I in light of what we're sharing, this is something that is, that is, is so embedded in my heart. I live it, I breathe it, I sneeze it. it. You just, I can't get away from the mission that God has for us. And when God delegated some authority and had amazing men of God lay their hands on me in this region and say, Chris, you're going to be the pastor of this church, this building. You're going to steward the work of God in Sandpoint, Idaho. Um, I took it seriously. I didn't. I didn't just be like, oh, that's nice. I'll just do my thing. So God has given me some authority to speak into some things and to do some things. And because of that, um, for a long time, I didn't know how to do that, right? Like I, I had no idea how to use authority well because all the models I had were pretty bad. Right? And we've just spent a season talking about submission and authority, and we did a couple of great uh, messages on that. And then we have also been working on the fear of the Lord, removing the fear of man. Uh, you, you don't really operate in a healthy authority until you fear the Lord. Right? So God's been doing this transformative work. Uh, it's been really beautiful. Um, so I'm going to read through our mission and then just a, a little bit. I'm going to um, pull out some nuggets from this, and then I'm going to talk about two keys that God has for us in order to fulfill the mission that God has in front of all of us here in this community. Are you guys ready? Okay, let's pray. Let's just invite the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts this morning. Will you just raise your hands to heaven as you sit? Raise your hands. God, we just come to receive from you today. Holy Spirit, we ask that you come, all fear go. Father, any confusion, any offense, any wounding, any trauma, anything that would prevent us from hearing your word today, I command those voices to stop in Jesus' name. I command forgiveness to flow in Jesus' name. Sometimes, God, we just got to put it in your hands. So today we put it all in your hands and we say yes to whatever you have for me, for us in this place, in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Let's get in the word. So our mission is usher in the kingdom of God. We want to usher in the kingdom of God through the complete transformation of a region. That's big. Okay. Like, you know, some people are like, we want to be healthy families. Yes, we want to be healthy families. But the fruit of that, the big picture mission is that we want to be able to usher in the kingdom of God through the complete transformation of a region. Uh, and, and last week I talked about this briefly that I feel like this region is very much like Ephesus. So when we look at a biblical model for how do we go to war, I think we need to consider Ephesus as a great model on how Paul won over Ephesus. Okay, uh, what he did was he went from the synagogue into the marketplace, and we went, when he went into the marketplace into the school of Tyrannus, it says in Acts 19, he preached in the school of Tyrannus. He taught his disciples, and within two years, all of Asia heard the word of the Lord. The entire region heard the word of the Lord within two years because he was training his disciples 
in the marketplace and how to be in the marketplace, not just how to be good in the church, in the, in the, uh, in the synagogue of the day, but how to be good uh, believers and followers of Jesus that operate with power there. Now, what the other thing that I think is really cool is that in Acts 19, it says that through Paul in Ephesus, he did unusual miracles. Okay, how many of you know a miracle is unusual? So you know it's crazy when they're describing the miracle as unusual, right? Like, you know, you just upped it up a level when you went from, oh, that was a miracle. To, that was an unusual miracle. Like, that's extra, okay? To the point where he was, had the sweat from his apron. They would cut up his aprons and send it out, and people were being healed by his sweat. Let that mess with you for a little bit, okay? Now, As a congregation of people from all different backgrounds and stripes, we want nothing less than revival. Revival is God's transformative presence in our community. Now, let me say this. The kingdom of heaven on earth is not about the law of attraction. Because I've heard this said, and if you're not familiar with the law of attraction, it says that if I think about something, if I focus on something enough, then it'll just attract all of those things to me. Now, there is sowing and reaping. Right? And I think that the world is caught on to how sowing and reaping works. (laughs) And they call it the law of attraction. Right? Like if you feed something, guess what? You're going to get something back. Right? I'm not talking about that or any other woo-woo idea concerning the kingdom of heaven on earth. The kingdom of heaven on earth is the reality of the kingdom of heaven in us. It is in us. And it is changing the world around us. Heaven on earth means that I am heavenly and I'm releasing heaven around me. That was good. You can tweet that. You can quote it. You can put it on Facebook. I I am heavenly because I am heavenly. Heaven begins to transform the world around me. When you walk in the presence of God, his presence changes things. Now, we've gathered here, right, to bring heaven to earth, where the entire community glorifies God and has given their lives to Jesus. This is not about social justice. This is not about... Removing all poverty, even though that is one of the signs of the kingdom of heaven manifesting, is that poverty in in all four areas is removed. We'll talk about that, and we'll talk about the biblical model for it. But one of the realities of this manifestation is that people are encountering Jesus and giving their lives to Jesus. That is how things change, is that the gospel is going forth. They're hearing the word of the Lord. They're seeing unusual miracles, signs, wonders. They're hearing people who hear God are prophesying life into them, giving them hope, giving them a future, giving them all types of things that they would have never had before. And in those moments, they know there is a God in heaven, and they give their life to Jesus. Is this making sense? Yes. Yes. Now... We know that we are having an impact 
because systemic poverty declines. Well, what does that look like? Systemic poverty is the, the areas that are consistent, where there's consistent areas of poverty. So one of those is obviously in the natural, in the physical realm, right? Uh, when the kingdom comes, and we see this in Acts 2 and in Acts chapter 4, that there was no need among them. What? No, there was no need among them. And those who had assets sold their assets to take care of those people in need. They allowed that they, they weren't so concerned about what they were getting, but they were concerned about the kingdom coming. And so they even allowed their finances to be stewarded in a manner that they were a constant flow of blessing instead of a hoarding for my future. Wow, it got quiet. Okay. The other one, of course, um, is motivational poverty. Listen, when the kingdom of God shows up in a region, you start to see that the poor don't stay poor. When the kingdom of God enters a region, one of the things that you see is that the people who've been unwilling to work suddenly have a different drive, a different motive, a different reason to get up and feed their family. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is coming. When the kingdom of God shows up, you see that husbands stop beating their wives and trying to control everything that they do. Well, I'm the husband. I get to tell you what to do. Will you shut it? No, you don't. No, you don't. That is not biblical. And if you think it's biblical, let's chat. I'm serious. It is not biblical. That is not in the scriptures. Well, they're supposed to, I don't know why I'm always on this, but let me just tell you, I think we need to break it off of this region. Listen, submission is mutual. In Ephesians 5, it says, submit unto one another in love. Wives, likewise to your husbands, and husbands, love your wives. The word submit isn't even in Ephesians 5.1. But we translate it to give it the context because it's the carryover from the last verse, which says, mutually submit to one another in love. Wives, likewise to your husbands, submit in love to your husband, cooperate, work with. Can I just blow our minds for a second? Let me, let me, just, let me just say, men and women are different. I know. Let, let, me, let me say this as well. Men, okay, this might sound creepy. Men have the life in them. The seed is in the man, and the woman is the womb. So when you start to see how Paul is relating in Timothy, uh, specifically 2 Timothy, about the roles of men and women, and he says that the man is first and the, the wife was second, and we got, we've got all of these differentiations, understand that in Ephesians 5, at the end of Ephesians 5, where it says that the husband is head, right? The word head means, it was the Greek word kephale, and it means source. It is the place where the seeds come from. It's the same word translated into the, into the, uh, the Hebrew as rosh, head, rosh. How many of you know what rosh Hashanah is? First of the year. Does it say, does that mean that the first day of the year gets to control as the leader of all the other days? 
No, it's a source. Men, you're to be a source for your spouse. Be a source. Wives, you're to cooperate. Men, love. Let's work it out. Work together. But anytime there's a spirit of control, you've already partnered with a demonic force. And you need to get control out of your marriage. See, we're called to break domestic violence in this region. We are called to break the entitlement mentality, which creates anger. Men who are entitled are angry because they're not getting what they want. James 4 says that the reason why we have fights and quarrels among us is because we do not get what we want. I have no idea why I went there, but hallelujah, praise Jesus, here we are. Okay. So how does revival come, right? We want God's transformative presence, and this is when we kind of get in the meat a little bit. Revival comes through ministry. Revival comes through ministry. If you're taking notes, you need to write that down. Revival comes through ministry. It comes through meeting needs. Of course, we know that ministry is is meeting needs. But listen, God's presence needs to flow out as we pour out. Often we do consider ministry to just be meeting needs. And yes, that is true. Ministry is is rooted in a few things. And in order for us to fulfill our mission properly, we must reorient some concepts in order to be able to see revival come. So how do we reorient our understanding of ministry? How do we reorient our understanding of revival? Well, let's start with this. God's presence must be home. God's presence must be home. Home. Growing up, I had this desire to serve God. I, I was the first time that I ever uh, was told that I would be a pastor was when I was 12 years old. My stepmother's dad, Given Anderson, told me, I could see you being a great pastor someday. Right? And I was like, by the age of 12, I was already riddled with shame. I had seen some things and experienced some things when I was five and six and seven years old that most adults don't even want to watch or look at, even like even the grossest, like it was, it was bad, okay? So let me just say, I was an orphan as a young boy, and I never felt at home with God because of shame and guilt and condemnation. I had a desire to serve God, but I was never able to rest in that. I never felt like I was good enough or capable enough to live the Christian life. Uh, my parents were divorced when I was two. So when, when, when junior high came to an agreement with my dad, who was a believer, that I would go to church when I lived with my mom. Of course, my mom got to pick the church, and she was making sure it was not one of those wild, charismatic churches, because those are horrible and bad. You don't want to go to those. So I went to a, a, a Bible church, okay, that was an a offshoot of John MacArthur Grace Ministries, anti-charismatic church. And 
Ultimately, after high school, I chose to walk completely away from God. I'd already been living two lives. I had no power to change my life. I had tried. I had tried hard over and over. I couldn't figure it out. I was an orphan looking for a home. I was always striving, but never at home with my heavenly father. This all came to a head when um, I was 20 years old and got my girlfriend pregnant, and we were youth leaders, and uh, the character doesn't bode well. I was on a track to become a pastor, and they're like, yeah, you're done, which is fine. No problem with that, but like, okay, character has to be there. So I get, um, during the divorce, um, I get married. We have beautiful Bailey. If you know my, my daughter, Bailey, she's amazing. Um, and then, uh, my, uh, I, am working in the restaurant industry. I start partying pretty hard. I turn 21. Now I'm bartending and I'm going out every night. I start managing the restaurant, um, because anywhere that I go, I tend to lead. It's a gift on my life. Like people just see it. Like I'll show up in a room and people like, like, I won't say anything, and if there's a problem, people just look at me. Like, what do we do? I'm like, I don't know any of you. You know, like, what, what, what's happening? Right? So there's a gift and a strength on my life for leadership. So I got promoted very, very quickly um, and was, was even being promoted to do some regional management when, after a year of being, in a, being a manager at the Spaghetti Factory in Spokane. Um, and... I realized that my sin, I had no control, none. I could not control addiction. I couldn't control myself even in wanting to be faithful to my wife. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do any of the things that I wanted to do. I was powerless. And I said, forget it. I'm out. I walked away from God completely. Done. I can't do this. Why would I continue doing this? Why would I continue? So we got divorced. Uh, in the middle of that process of separation and, and trying to figure out things with my ex-wife, Emily, while we were working on that stuff, she got pregnant with Spencer. And then uh, we had Spencer, and a few months later, we were divorced. Um, you know, God redeems a lot, and he's redeemed it all. Right? Like, I can tell my story pretty openly and boldly because he gets the glory. I mean, it's such a good story now. It was painful to walk through, but I ended up with full custody of my kids for like eight years. Crazy. Like, God redeemed it. Brought me Mika. Hello. She's amazing. We've got this beautiful daughter, Quinn. I've got budding, flourishing relationships with my older children, there's been so much healing. My ex-wife and I get along fine. You know, it's like God has just moved dramatically. And, and the reason why I share all this is because unless God's presence is your home, you're always an orphan. The fruit of orphan in my life meant I said, forget it, I'm out. John 15 4 and 5 says this, Jesus talking says, Abide in me, and I in you as the branch 
cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Personal transformation, like, because where does revival start? Right here, right here. Not somebody else holding a meeting. Revival starts in me. Transformation begins in me. Personal transformation comes as we abide in God. Many of our personal struggles are due to pride and thinking we can solve our own problems. Do you you hear me? When you think you can solve your own problem, it's pride. Plain and simple. Your best idea on how to fix your problem pales in comparison to the king of problem solving. Sometimes we don't know how to get an answer from God because we've never actually chose to be a son. Because we're more concerned about what God's going to do for me than about just being with him. We've used God as the candy machine where I can give God a prayer and turn the dial and get a blessing. He wants to abide with you more than do things for you. He'd rather walk with you in the fire than prevent you from the fire. Let that mess with you for a little bit. Because when you're, you're not, he's going to protect you. John uh, LaPointe was sharing a great vision that he had about, you know, he's got this huge bonfire going and it was like, okay, if God asked me to walk into the fire, would I walk in the fire? If Jesus was standing there saying, come on in, would I do it? Personal transformation comes as we abide with God. Can we be more, we need to transform our focus from doing things and fixing problems to just being with Jesus and abiding in him. Some of us have an absolute addiction to doing things. All right, all right. Yeah, now I'm preaching to Lois. Okay. Can I just tell you this? His presence is rest. His presence is rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When we make his presence our home, we can rest. We learn to trust him for all we need. We do our part. We do what God asks us to do, but we're not striving because we can rest in him. It's very easy to say no when you're abiding. And it's very easy to say yes when you're abiding. When his presence is your home, it's an automatic filter on what you do. Yeah, actually, God hasn't asked me to do that, so I'm not going to do it. Thank you. I appreciate that, but no, I'm good. I'm just obeying the word of the Lord on my life. 
I've got people that I'm partnering with. I've got people that hold me accountable. If you don't, you need people in your life holding you accountable, okay? Serious. Nobody's above it. Nobody's above accountability. Because sometimes we don't see straight. We don't think straight. We get deceived. We need good brothers and sisters around us to say, hello, I think you might have missed that one. (laughs) Right? Come on. So we need each other in that, but we need to learn how to rest by abiding in his presence. We know that without him we can do nothing, and with him we can rest. Now, again, we must make God's presence our home. His presence, if you want to see revival, let his presence be your home. Abide in him. And the second thing that God wants to do is fill us to overflow. God wants us filled to overflow. So I went through this long season not walking with Jesus, and it was a train wreck. It was a train wreck. My mom was constantly worried because every once in a while she'd stop in to say hi, and and I'm either high, hungover, or badly wounded from getting in a fight the night before. I mean, probably at least once a month, I would, my mouth would spout some things when I was drinking a little bit that got somebody angry enough to want to punch me. Go figure. I don't know, I got in a lot of fights. Um, one of the realities of that situation was that I, I was in no way good. I was living in Vancouver, Washington, I was engaged to an amazing young gal, and, um, and I had just blown all of our savings uh, on a little drinking binge. Um, deeply depressed, was not at home, not doing well. We're in a huge fight, and she's like, okay, here's what's going to, she's, she's great. She goes, here's what's going to happen. You're going to leave. I'm holding a garage sale, and all of your stuff is getting sold to pay back the savings. So you're going to leave. I'm going to get my money back, and we're done. We're in this fight, conversation. My phone rings. It's my father. I'm like, my dad never calls. (laughs) Let me just be clear. He's not a caller. I'm like, huh. I'm like, I'm going to get this. I kind of needed a break anyways because it was too intense. So I answer. I'm like, hey, Dad. Hey, Dad. Yeah. Huh? He says, Chris, the Holy Spirit told me to call you and say, do you need a place to stay tonight? Uh, yep, I do. Actually, I'm in a fight with April, and I got to go. He's like, so when are you going to be down here? I said, I'll make my way down. I proceeded to stop at every bar along the way. Um, it was showed up way later than I should have, and um, that's what alcoholics do, right? Um, so I ended up um, staying at my dad's house, slept for a few days. He said, like, listen, you can stay here. I'll, I just lost, I lost all my jobs. I was just, I was hurting. He said, you know, Chris, you can, you can, um, Stay here, but you're going to need to work on the house, 
do some things around the house. Like we need to repaint. We need to do some things. So you can do that kind of stuff uh, while you're here, while you're kind of getting cleaned up a little bit. But you have to come to church, period. Like you have to come to church. And this is a church they'd attended for over 20 plus years. And so um, I knew the pastors. I was a little kid in this church with the pastors who were still pastoring the same church. They pastored that church for 28 years in Salem, Oregon. So I, I, I go in and, and that Sunday and they're Preaching a message. I have no idea what they were preaching about. They gave an altar call. If you want to give your life to Jesus, step into the aisle. And I stepped into that aisle and I gave my life to Christ. And it changed everything. Because I was willing to let go. I was willing to stop striving. Three days later, I was praying and I'm just like was so overjoyed that there was even a potential for redemption for my life. I couldn't... I, it was more than I could wrap my head around. That morning I'm praying and um, the Holy Spirit came and filled me and I was speaking with tongues. I had a life-altering vision in the little bedroom I was staying in. And his presence changed my life and for the first time his presence became home to me. It became a place that I wanted to abide. I didn't feel so much shame that I couldn't step in anymore. I had a lot to change. Wounds, trauma, addictions, all the things that we went over in the freedom encounter, father wounds, mother wounds, little brother, big sister wounds. I had to walk through forgiving myself for all the pain I had caused so many people over the years. I had to walk through a lot of things, and a lot had to come off. And guess what? They're still coming off. I didn't know if you guys knew that, but sometimes things that are really deep-rooted come up every once in a while, and you need to work on them again. You have not arrived. That was a great place to say amen, church. All right. But I have a home. I can freely rest, and the overflow of the Holy Spirit is what changed everything for me. We need to receive power in his presence. We need to receive power in his presence. Acts 1.8 says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be witnesses to me in all, Judea, in all Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let me just say, there is a priority on power for ministry. Jesus didn't say, Go tell everybody. After he was transfigured, you know, he's resurrected and fully transformed body and he shows up and he's talking to them. He could have said, all right, guys, now go get them, boys. Don't do anything. <laughs> Wait until you receive power. Wait until you receive power. See, there is a priority on power and we need to receive it. Because all you can muster in your willpower pales in comparison to the power of the Holy Spirit. All your great ideas pale in comparison to the power of the Holy Spirit. Those prayers that you want to pray, they pale in comparison to under the power of the Holy Spirit. Those great ideas that you have, they pale in comparison to the power of the Holy Spirit. That thing that you want for your family, it pales in comparison to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. More, exceedingly more abundantly than all that you could ask or think is his power that works in us. 
We need to receive power. Personal change is multiplied exponentially and extravagantly. God doesn't hold anything back when he spends his power on you. Can, can you just take a moment for that? Lennis brought this little word this morning on extravagant and defined extravagant as withholding no resource, right? Like it's just giving or, or lavishing something without thinking of withholding. His love is extravagant. He doesn't withhold. His power is extravagant. He doesn't withhold. Personal change is increased extravagantly, exponentially, in his presence. It's not about you doing some weird Christian ritual to get more power. It's about abiding in his presence. Personal change is increased in his presence and his power. If you long to change, seek the Holy Spirit to fill you, to change you, and to empower you. If you're not seeking the Holy Spirit to change you, you're full of pride. How's that? You guys okay with that? If you're not seeking the Holy Spirit to transform you, you're full of pride and you think, I got this, God. I got it. I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't need to change. I might have a little area here and there that's not quite perfect yet. No, you're full of pride. If you aren't coming to the Lord, asking him to transform you into his image and to change your life, then you're full of pride. And I can't say it more strongly than that. Most of our problems in this life is your pride. So we need to lay it down. God, will you change me? Transform me. I don't care if I don't ever look the same to anyone else. Again, change me, transform me. I don't care if everyone's got this old expectation of how I'm supposed to be versus how I am today. God, change me so that I am everything that you're asking me to be. I feel a little fire on it. We, listen, we all struggle. We all have difficulties, but we need to lay it before the Lord and let go of the outcome. We're fighting so hard to get the outcome we want. And Jesus is like, you have no idea what I have in store for it. Will you let go? <laughs> I got something much bigger for you. Can you let go, please? Quit trying to get the outcome you want. Let go of it. Let him shape you. Let him change you. Let him do something that only he can do. Not you. Only he can do through you. Woo. Let me just say this. Ministry is a natural outflow of his presence. Ministry, which is how revival comes, right? Ministry is how revival comes. 
Revival comes when you see a need and the Holy Spirit comes through power with an unusual sign, miracle, or wonder. People go, I know there's a God in heaven. Right? We live in a society today that is addicted to relativism. Your truth is best for you. And your truth is best for you. No, there is a truth, the truth. His name is Jesus. And the reality is that for people who are relative and they don't, they don't have a great, they don't care about how many apologetics you understand and, and, and what proof you have, what evidence you have, because we live in a culture where evidence don't matter. It does not matter. It does not matter. Okay, so let go of your evidence for a while. You know what's going to change people? Your encounter. Your encounter will change everything. If you're not abiding in the presence of God, you cannot have an encounter with God that changes somebody else's life. You need to be, have an encounter so that you can become an encounter so others might have an encounter. Right? They need to experience God and then they believe. You know, what's weird is like when Moses got the snake and the staff, the magicians could do it too. The reason why Paul had to do unusual miracles is because Ephesus was used to miraculous things. It was the demonic capital of the region. It was where all the magicians lived. And they could levitate. They could do all types. The stories about what was happening in Ephesus at the time is insane. So Paul's like, oh yeah, watch this. Unusual miracles need to happen because people need to have radical encounters. Now, let me just say this as well. The stronghold over the region wasn't broken by Paul. It wasn't. It wasn't broken by Paul. They all heard the word of the Lord, but what's really interesting, if you study out the history of Ephesus, and I think I've mentioned this before in a couple different contexts, what happens is that after Paul goes to prison and he's shipped off and Timothy is now pastoring in Ephesus, the apostle John shows up. They still have, they've, from the groundswell of, 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 of this movement of Christianity in Ephesus to the point where the, they're having riots because the silversmiths are angry because no one's buying the idols anymore. Like they're making these little idols to Diana and they're, they're not selling we got a problem, okay? Our business is down. And so what happens is they're, they've gone through, they've seeded the ground for transformation, but nobody went into the temple of Diana and cast the demonic stronghold of Diana was called the queen of heaven. So, so they, they weren't able to cast the queen of heaven out when Paul was there. And even as Timothy pastored and mentored an apostle that region, John, the apostle John, finally comes in and he walks right into the temple of Diana and he casts the demon out. And that's when the earthquake happened that actually split the temple of Diana into the current state that it's in today. The stronghold over the region was weakened and weakened and weakened because revival came. And then God appointed a man to come and cast that thing out. And what's crazy is that you see that same Diana spirit in Hinduism, Vashti. You see it in the Catholicism in the Mother Mary. 
So that spirit's still around. It just has hopped over, <laughs> right? But it was taken out of Ephesus. It was removed from the region. Okay, that's fun. You are no, when, when you're being transformed, you are no longer concerned about the cost. You're no longer concerned about the price. You're not concerned about the sacrifice that you might have to make when overflow, when you overflow from his presence. You're willing to sell it all, do whatever God asks you to do because you're abiding in his presence and you're just obeying what God asks you to do. Most of, uh, most of us, I'm in the same boat, most of us struggle with the idea of stepping into such radical faith that we're no longer secure in the natural. But if God asks you, you might want to consider it. He changes how we think, guys. When he's transforming us, he changes how we think. We're being transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. He is changing our minds in his presence and in his power. Lastly, ministry is seeing others through his eyes, right? So we need to abide in his presence. We need God to overflow. And as we abide and there's overflow, we begin to see people through his eyes, not our own eyes. We can only fulfill the mission of seeing the region change through his presence by revival coming when we see others through the eyes of the Father. We will give freely. We will serve sacrificially. We will be grounded in our character. We will communicate with grace and honor. We will give our whole selves to God's mission when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit because we can see people properly. We can now, instead of seeing my, myself as being priority number one, I see others as God sees them and I'm willing to serve them and minister to their need. And you know, what's sad in the church is that some of us, as we're discovering our gifts, we will find a nail to be a hammer to. I got a gift, I got to use it. And people are like, ah, that hurt. God wants to refine us so that we can see the nail and realize they don't need a hammer today. It's actually doing really good where it is. So, you know, what we need to do is just love on that nail a little bit before I hammer it with my quote-unquote gifting. Until we see people through the eyes of Jesus, your prophetic words are going to be about you expressing yourself more than it is about them. And that has to shift in this house. Okay? Most of you, I think everybody except for Daniel and Taylor have been here. But Daniel knows me really well. Daniel, glad to have you. Taylor, glad to have you. Listen. We have newcomers that come in and we come up and we prophesy over them. And you know what happens? They run. Why? Because you don't know them. You're freaking them out. We have to shift it. 
How about we just love on them and get to know them and build a relationship with them? Write the word down. If God gave you a word, write it down. There will come a time when you're like, hey, I noticed this about you and I wanted to give you this. I got this the first day I met you. And here, man, what a blessing it is to them. But if you're insecure about yourself and you feel like you need to prove yourself by prophesying over somebody, you're going to hurt them because they're not ready. Are you guys okay with what I'm saying? Are you guys okay with a little, little family time correction? Okay, so listen, God has a plan for this place to transform the region. And unless we're lining it up the way that God wants to line it up, and, and I get to kind of be the hammer sometimes. I get, to, I get to say the hard things sometimes. That's just the burden of leadership. Is sometimes I gotta say things that people aren't happy with. Okay, I'm all right with you not being happy with me sometimes. I really am okay because I love you. And hopefully you know that I love you. I really do. I really do. And I'm not going to hold anything against you. I might want to for a minute. Okay, let me be real. I might want to for a minute. I might be mad. I get over it fast. Anybody who knows me knows I, I don't hang on to stuff. I get over it real quick. Why? Because I abide in the presence. And that, that just doesn't match the presence well. So I got to forgive and say, God, I trust them to you, Jesus. God, they're yours, Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. It gets intense sometimes. I got I to gotta, I gotta travail through, right? But let me, just, let me just tell you, God is, wants us to be this type of culture that when people step in the door, they grow. That when people step in the door, they encounter, they experience the love and the power of God in such a manner that they're like... I need more of that presence of God that is on their life, that is in that house, that is swimming in the atmosphere. Can I just say one more thing? If you guys are only here to get your needs met, you're missing it. We're missing it. Yes, we've all got a need every time we walk through the door. Can I just encourage you to just go to the Father and have him meet that need? We just need to come home. And abide in him. And then all the other things that flow out of that space of abiding, it's like freedom. There's such freedom to minister, to give, because you're not worried about yourself anymore. Amen? All right. I'm glad you're okay with that. Hallelujah. Revival. We want to see the kingdom of God established here through God's transformative presence. And that only comes through Holy Spirit-empowered ministry. Only comes through Holy Spirit-empowered ministry. His presence must be our home. His spirit must empower us. We must see through his eyes. We must believe all that he says is true with radical faith, not looking out for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. Your needs are important. Don't get me wrong. Your needs are important, but not just you. This is not striving or doing more things, church. It's not a call to, okay, here's my call for everybody to join the serve team. No, it's not about doing more. It's about abiding and obeying. 
Because when you abide and he asks you to do something, you're like, of course. Why wouldn't I do it? You're a good dad. Why would I not do the thing that you're asking me to do? <laughs> Why would I withhold from God what he's asking of me? Does anybody have a good reason to do that? I can't think of one. Other than fear and pride and all the stuff I don't want. It's not working harder, it's abiding. So will you stand with me as we close out our time today? I'm so grateful for you being here. Um, thanks for letting me tell my story a little bit and then also process a little bit with you what I'm seeing God wants to do in this place, in this region. I'm very excited about what the Lord's doing. Listen, we are turning the corner. Things are going to change around here. If you don't like change, you should probably start looking for another church because things change here. We reinvent continually. We're always saying, God, we want to do whatever it is that you're asking me to do. We might have the best laid plans and he's going to throw his, he's going to put the stick in the wheel and we're going to do an endo. You know, we're going to go end over end. We're going to be like, oh, what happened? Why? Because we're not listening. As we listen, as God shapes us, as God moves us, we are going to see greater fruit of the kingdom in this next season than we have ever seen before. But if you're not willing to change, you will be in the ditch. I know it's a hard message to hear somebody say, no, you have to change. Yes, you have to change. I have to change. We all have to change. And if we can embrace that by our obedience to the Father and say, Whatever you have for me, Lord, I'm willing to do that. If that can be our attitude and heart, and you can ignore your discomfort for a season, let him be your comforter, and you can step into that new place, I am telling you, the world is ready for revival. The world is ready to encounter the love of God. They're ready for a foundation that is unshakable. Let's raise our hands to heaven. Holy Spirit, come. Whew. Holy Spirit, come. Fill your people today. Fill your people today. Empower your people today. God, Holy Spirit, come. Fill your people. Holy Spirit, come. Fill your people. Thank you for joining us today. Harvest Valley Worship Center is called to be a refuge for healing and a launch pad for transformation. If this message impacted you today, please let us know in a comment, or you can email us at media at hvwc.com. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to connecting with you.